Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Today we have with us a returning guest, Luger Regeer. I introduced him to you a, a while back where he gave his testimony and another time when he led us in a devotion. He's back now to lead us in a devotion from the book of Daniel, beginning in chapter 4. And he'll speak to us on the importance of we as believers living humble before the Lord. Andrew Murray once said that humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is, from the very nature of things, the first duty, the highest virtue of man. It is the root of every virtue. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that we should have this attitude in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If this is true of our Savior, then certainly it should be true of us. And so join me as we listen to Lugi from Daniel chapter 4. So this is an unusual passage because it is dealing with a man who is normally not elevated in sermons. We're going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, but not the furnace incident where the veggie tales, I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown in for refusing to bow to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had made. We're going to talk about how the Lord warned him to humble himself, and then when Nebuchadnezzar did not humble himself, how God did it for him, and how afterwards Nebuchadnezzar blesses God. But first, I want to pray. Lord, we thank you for this time today, and we ask that it would be profitable in directing our hearts and our thoughts to you. So we're going to start in Daniel 4, verse 4, which is in page 741 in my Bible. And I want to read some of those verses. Verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the conjurers and the Chaldeans and the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom a spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dreams, which I have seen, along with its interpretation. So there's a few things to mention. First off, Nebuchadnezzar is troubled by a dream which he believes has particular significant meaning, and this is not the first one for him. There was a previous dream in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, which he also asked his wise men to interpret only none of them could, because Nebuchadnezzar didn't just say, tell me what this means, but also demanded, tell me what I dreamt, and then tell me what it means, which makes me so very happy to hear that, because given how bizarre normal dreams can be, it's a ludicrous request. 
And of course, nobody can answer. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 7, they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For I have... For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So here is where Daniel comes in because Nebuchadnezzar had made him one of those wise men. And when Daniel hears that Nebuchadnezzar had given orders to destroy all the wise men, he, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get together and they pray. And in that prayer, God reveals to Daniel both what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is and the meaning which he takes to Nebuchadnezzar. And I do want to pause to comment that there are several times in Scripture where God reveals himself through dreams. In Genesis 37, Joseph dreams that sheaves of wheat bowed down to him in one dream, and then the sun and the moon and eleven stars bowed to him in another, which is foreshadowing of the authority he would receive in Egypt after his brothers, in bitterness and jealousy, had pawned him to slavers. But then God elevates him to being the second in command. In the Gospels, there's another dream to Joseph, only it's a different Joseph. It's just before Jesus' birth, and he is considered sending Mary away when an angel appears to him in a dream. From Matthew 1, 20 verse 21. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And there are a bunch of others, but the most important statement that I want to point out is from Genesis 40, verse 8, where Joseph, the old, previous Old Testament Joseph, has been sold by his brothers. He's been taken into Egypt and as a slave later put into prison. There, Pharaoh has a dream which no one can interpret, so he's throwing people into prison where Joseph is. And in Genesis 40, verses 6 and 7, when Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? They said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So hopefully this point is self-evident, but I want to be very clear that not every dream is prophetic. Even if you want it to be, that doesn't because... Even if you want it to be, that doesn't cause it to become something it is not. Now, does God use dreams? Absolutely he does. Scripture is pretty clear about that. But do not project that if something is used by God, then it is because that thing in itself is special. He has used men and donkeys and rocks. So that proves that God can use anything, but it does not prove that men and donkeys and rocks are naturally holy. Most importantly, God using dreams does not elevate dreams above Scripture. In other words, if there is someone 
who's had a dream and its interpretation contradicts scripture, then that interpretation is wrong. It is wrong because just as we read in Genesis 40 verse 8 that interpretations belong to God and he will not contradict himself. So let's return from our rabbit trail about God's use of dreams to Nebuchadnezzar's second dream and Daniel speaking the interpretation that God has revealed to him. So my first question in this is why does Nebuchadnezzar even still have these phony baloney charlatans around? He's tested them in chapter 2 and they've proved themselves as frauds. Any kind of powers or mystical ability that they claim they have, they were not able to manifest anything. So here he's willing to tell them the dream, but they still can't actually produce any kind of interpretation. So, yeah, I don't understand that. And even if Nebuchadnezzar really just loves their company, why is he asking Daniel last? In chapter 2, after Daniel gives the interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar says in chapter 2, verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar sought an answer. But nobody was able to provide it except a man whose heart was submitted to God in obedience. And I want to ask, is that who you go to for advice? If you're going to ask someone, are you going to those who you know are for Jesus? Or do you prefer charlatans and pretenders? But anyhow, so in verses 10 to 18, Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel a dream, and then verses 19 to 27, Daniel both repeats and interprets the dream. So I'm going to go to the section where Daniel is recounting what the king just said to him, and then giving the interpretation. So in verse 19, then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached the sky and was visible to the ends of the earth and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached the sky in your dominion to the end of the earth. In that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it, in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize the Most High as ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on whomever he wishes." 
and in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. So that's a lot, but I want to start with verse 20. Daniel saying, My Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. His response here impresses me because there is a chance that this is court etiquette and Daniel is just being correct and professional. But Daniel is speaking to the man who had a false god built and then ordered his friends executed by roasting for not bowing down to it. I, I'm, I, I think it is noteworthy that he responds to Nebuchadnezzar this way. If nothing else, then my response would have been, my Lord, good news, you are being downsized. Good luck in your future career as a lunatic man-cow. And then those would have been the last words on my gravestone, which you can imagine the inscription, Lugi Regeer, 600 BC to 561 BC. My Lord, good news, you are being downsized. Good luck in your future career as a lunatic man-cow. Rip. But I believe that since Daniel is doing his job as unto God, therefore he sees God as his employer and not Nebuchadnezzar. And therefore, Daniel has compassion for Nebuchadnezzar. And from here, Daniel breaks down the dream. Verses 20 to 21 are about this incredible tree. It reaches to the sky. It is visible to the end of the earth. It is beautiful. It shades and feeds all around it, the beasts and the birds and all living creatures. And in verse 22, Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. And Nebuchadnezzar probably responded with, well, yes, guilty as charged. I am magnificent. And then in verses 23, Daniel recounts the angelic watcher. And if you want a really good Bible study tool, I recommend blueletterbible.com where I was able to find and look up the Hebrew word for angelic watcher. So there's a Hebrew lexicon there that states, a name of angels in the later Hebrew for guarding of the souls of men. And keep in mind, this is a Hebrew lexicon written by a man. So this may not be the correct interpretation. And I don't have enough knowledge of Hebrew to say otherwise. But if it is correct, then that is kind of further articulating that this vision is not about judgment and doom on Nebuchadnezzar, but it's something related to restoring him to God. And in verses 24 to 26, Daniel gives the interpretation of the angelic watcher's words. He says, This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon you, my lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind in your dwelling place, be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle, and be drenched with the dew from heaven, and seven periods, seven periods referring to seven years. So seven years of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize it is heaven that rules. And then further, Daniel prompts Nebuchadnezzar to repent. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. 
And Nebuchadnezzar showed wisdom and listened, and everything turned out okay, and he totally didn't have to go through the consequences that God had warned him about. Roll credits. But no, not even close. So we continue to verse 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? So we have this vision, and Nebuchadnezzar hears God speaking through Daniel, and Daniel has proved to be trustworthy from the previous experiences. And then there's another year of God showing patience and grace to Nebuchadnezzar. And we see that he hasn't listened. Nebuchadnezzar is looking out over his kingdom and how great it is, and then blames all that success on himself. He sees himself as the sole agency behind establishing his kingdom. Dear Vladimir Putin, there's a man named Nebuchadnezzar, Please read about him and take the appropriate response. Was Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom great and amazing? Yes, it was. Nebuchadnezzar is correct in this assessment. Was Nebuchadnezzar a big deal? Yes, the dream that God gives him, and Daniel's interpretation emphasized that. Nebuchadnezzar is the tree. His power reaches to the sky and is visible to the end of the earth. So here he is. He's on his penthouse balcony, and he's in his bathrobe, and in his dollar bill print silk shorts, holding his breakfast mimosa, and he's thinking, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? This is the equivalent of leaving himself a message that says, hello me, this is Nebuchadnezzar yourself speaking. Is it not true that all I see is because of me and from me and for me? So this... Just the, the, the idea behind what he is claiming. This sounds very much like a corruption of Hebrews 2.10, where it says, speaking of Jesus, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. And it also reminds me of Colossians 2.9 and 10, for in him, this is again, speaking of Jesus, All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. Nebuchadnezzar is correctly seeing that Babylon is mighty and powerful, but his mistake is insisting that without Nebuchadnezzar, none of this would have come about. So God is correcting him. In verse 31 through 33, While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler of the realm of mankind, and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew from heaven until his hair had grown like eagle feathers and his nails like bird claws. There's several things really important here. First, God gave him a very clear and very specific warning. God spoke in advance exactly what would happen. Why? Because I think if he had not, 
that Nebuchadnezzar was stubborn enough not to get the message. If God had just taken Nebuchadnezzar's reason away and then afterwards says, I have humbled you for your arrogance. I wonder if Nebuchadnezzar would have said, no, you didn't. That was just a bad mimosa that lasted seven years. But it wasn't you because I'm still in charge and I'm still amazing. So the the warning and basically setting up a message as a way of saying, this is what I declare. And if I'm not God, then please stop me. But you do not have the control and the authority which you claim. And I'm going to make that clear by being very, very specific about what I say will happen. That's something that's not unique to this section of Daniel. That's something that repeatedly you can see throughout Scripture where God gives a word from the Exodus all through where he is very, very clear to say, I know in advance what will happen because because I am God. And usually he's speaking against people who are very prideful or are very deluded. So this warning is is really important. The second thing is how God actively and supernaturally sustains and guards Nebuchadnezzar for seven years. What do I mean by that? Well, let us ruminate, as it were, on verse 34, by which I mean that verse 34 reads, But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. Do you know what it doesn't say in verse 34? It doesn't say, And after much vomiting and diarrhea, King Nebuchadnezzar died of malnourishment after a few weeks, since people cannot eat grass like cattle and live. Now, it's true that grass is naturally occurring, and it is non-toxic. But, like, there are many things that fall into that category, and we don't use them for food. Without the necessary digestive system that God has purpose-built for the task, it isn't possible to metabolize the nutrients that are in grass. The human stomach can't break down cellulose, which means that if you're eating grass like cattle, then most of it is passing through you undigested. This was something that blew my mind when my wife pointed it out to me. We were sitting in our kitchen, and she mentioned, isn't it amazing how God still cared for Nebuchadnezzar? And I thought, oh yeah, because he restores his reason. And she said, no, because a human body can't live off of what he was eating. So we own a cow, Molly. And we got Molly in January. It's mid-September now, and we've milked her twice a day, every day since then. So I've become familiar with feeding her and her habits and her size and her manure. There's so very much manure. She is about 800 pounds, and she spends most of her day either eating or sitting around. But while she's sitting around, she's chewing away constantly. Because in order to power those 800 pounds, you need sugar, or more accurately, you need glucose. So certain fruits and vegetables have that in the form of fructose or sucrose or starch, but grass doesn't have that. Grass has cellulose, which is a chain of glucose molecules but not one that a human digestive system can access. So Molly, our cow, first has to consume huge amounts of grass, and then she regurgitates that grass and uses the special jaw structure that God has given her to pound that grass into a pulp. She can do that because ruminant teeth continue to grow their whole life. Why is that important? Because there's also a lot of silica in grass where if people continue to try to eat it, it actually erodes our teeth and destroys them. So after all of this work is done on the grass, 
Then Molly has a multi-chambered stomach that goes to work breaking down the cellulose in the grass pulp via the bacteria in her stomach, and specifically the largest stomach, which is the rumen, which functions as a microbial fermentation tank. And, and I'm, I'm pointing all this out because while Nebuchadnezzar's reason was removed from him, his human body was not. So he's doing this for seven years. And this is not a man foraging for herbs. If Nebuchadnezzar was honing his survival skills or playing Team Special Forces Babylon, he would not be out there getting drenched with the dew and then dying from exposure. Since Nebuchadnezzar has no reason left, I also have to wonder, because he's restored afterwards, were there royal servants taking square bales of hay to the king in winter? And was there also a butler whose job it was to hold an umbrella over his highness while his highness browsed the clover? Whatever the case, Nebuchadnezzar continues on like this for seven years before God restores him. And that's even if you are old. Seven years remains a long time. If you're young, seven years is even longer because it's a large percentage of your life. Doing anything for seven years is very, very... You, you become proficient at something. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't necessarily become proficient. He simply has to, without human reason, trust on the proficiency of God to provide for him. Someone that he has not acknowledged yet remains faithful to him during this period. So from here we're going to read over verse 34 to 37. But at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. He says, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out, so I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true, and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. The biggest danger for me in preparing any devotion is knowing that whatever I claim and whatever I assert, God will make me apply it. And if it is something that is supernatural, then he will make me eat those words and he will make me recognize that it's fine and dandy to say something and to claim something, but he expects me to live it out, which is independence on him. And sure enough, this time was no different. I am, I am blessed with a job that God has given me. For one, I am blessed that I have a job. But beyond that, I have a job that I enjoy a great deal. But there's been reorganization and changes at work. The details are less important than the disruptions that they've caused. And yesterday, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Yesterday on Monday was a particular low point for me where I was having to continue to do other people's work and things were not getting fixed and everything seemed pointless and futile. And, and this wasn't a small thing for me. This was not, well, I say this isn't cricket. Uh, this was me spending most of the day becoming the incredible sulk over things at work. And my wife, thankfully, called me out on it. 
about my hopelessness and that I was not working as unto the Lord. I was getting indignant that work was not providing the sense of purpose and fulfillment that I was expecting. And while I didn't get up that morning and say, today work shall replace Jesus, I was acting that way. And this is where Nebuchadnezzar and I, like there are parallels. Have I made significant contributions at work? Yes, I have. It's, it's measurable. Am I an important person at work? Yes, I am. Am I successful at work? And do I have a long history of success there? Yes, I do. Is it because of the grace of God who gives me the inspiration and the words? Yes. It is completely, entirely Jesus who has brought me to where I am today and who sustains me. And it only takes little tiny days like yesterday to remind me of the grace which I walk in daily. The grace without which I behave like a tall, spoiled child. Like Nebuchadnezzar, I have been given so very much. And like Nebuchadnezzar, I can count and I can measure all that I've been given. And my mistake is that I confuse my success with my skill. I had begun to say, Behold, if I am successful, therefore it was I who created that success. Behold, if people are blessed, then it was I who blessed them. And behold, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? But thanks be to God that he is faithful to humble me. That is something that we can hear about in others and we can read about it in scripture and we recognize that as a believer it is important to walk humbly. But when you understand that Humbling is embarrassment. Do I desire to be embarrassed? No. But there is blessing and there is provision in that. And so I want to finish with Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. All the commandments which I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. I hope this was encouraging, and for anyone who has struggles, I want to say as someone who can speak not from things that the Lord did 10 years, 20 years ago, but as someone who has heard and received from the Lord just yesterday, He is faithful. He is not only our Father, but our very life. He is sufficient for all that He commands and expects, because He is the very life that actually carries out his expectations in us. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the His Hill podcast, featuring our host, Kelly Doherty, along with Lugie Regeer, and his devotional about lessons from the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Registration for the 2022 Thanksgiving Conference is now open. Our speakers this year will be the director of Torchbearers International, Peter Reed, and the former director of Capernray Australia, Peter Thomas. 
If you would like to attend, please head on over to our website at hishill.org to register. We would love to welcome you here in just a few weeks. Thank you again for tuning into the His Hill podcast. You've been listening to our host, Kelly Doherty, along with Lugie Regeer. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ, alumni, and don't forget that God is a refuge for us and that we can trust in Him at all times. I'm Lizzie, and we'll see you next week.